1: find yourself lacking the energy to do the things you love to do and in general missing out on parts of your life? Are you feeling tired much of the time, anxious and overwhelmed? Do you long to move through life with more vitality, ease and love for yourself, for those close to you and for all the human family? then you are not alone. There are many of us feeling like we could use some help in finding successful strategies to improve our health and well-being. Today, we'll be exploring a map to vitality with our guest, Dr. Deborah Zucker, who has many suggestions as to how to listen to what our bodies are trying to tell us in terms of health and well-being. Dr. Deborah Zucker is a naturopathic physician and transformational health coach who helps people find and transform their fundamental relationship to health. She's the founder of Vital Medicine and offers many virtual and retreat-based programs. She holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University, where she has also served as adjunct faculty She's the author of The Vitality Map A Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self Care, and Resilient Well Being. Join us for the next hour as we explore a roadmap to health and well being with our guest, Dr. Deborah Zucker. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. It's a joy to have you. First of all, I would love for you to talk about your view of what does vitality have to do with our health? We don't usually put those two words together. Hmm. Well, that, that makes me feel sad that we don't put those two words together because for me,
2: I mean, vitality is the essence of what it is to be alive. You know, our life energy is moving through us and expressing itself uniquely in, in each of us. And, and our, our vitality is that. It's, it's us being alive and in our bodies and, and living life with the level of well-being and, and health that is essentially our birthright. And so for me, they're in, in a way, they're one and the same, even if our language and, and our culture doesn't emphasize that.
1: Well, exactly. And, and I know that you use um, a metaphor throughout your book and throughout your work of us being learning to be gardeners <laughs> of our own health, like uh, using that analogy. Can you kind of tell us what you mean by that?
2: Yes, I I love that analogy because all of us, whether we're gardeners or not, have a sense of what it is to plant a seed and give it the soil around it proper attention and nourishment and water and then the sun comes in and this magical thing happens where the seed you know sprouts and bursts through the soil and then this plant just grows up and blossoms and blooms and fruits and and all that we're doing as a gardener essentially is tending that soil and making sure it needs it gets what it needs and And then the rest of it is happening from that innate vitality, that innate life force that expresses itself through that plant. And so for me, the analogy is so apt for us as human beings to see ourselves as the gardeners of ourselves. You know, how do we tend and cultivate our own soil of our life? How do we acknowledge that that same life force, that same life energy and that that seed that sprouts and the plant that emerges is also in us? And so really our role is tending to ourselves, being stewards and gardeners of ourselves in a way where we offer ourselves that same attention, where we give ourselves the nourishment that we need. We watch for the feedback when things might get a little off balance and we, we you know, gently and lovingly, you know, tend ourselves to, to move ourselves into um, a state of greater vitality again. And... And for me, that's kind of foundational to what it is to be alive, even though that's not part of the cultural language or constructs that most of us are oriented around. You know, our our health and self-care ends up being kind of compartmentalized into one thing or a list of to-dos. But being a gardener gardener of ourself is really a more essential role that that
1: shifts the orientation to a deeper level. And so I know that so many of us don't do that kind of gardening yet we we garden other people's gardens mm-hmm. like we we care for others we we put them first and and so mm-hmm. often we're not looking at ourselves and and helping ourselves is that? Do you find that you have many clients come to you like that? <laughs> I
2: would say most of us. It's 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 sort of like a modern plague in a way, and particularly the, the people that I tend to work with are people who are very you know aware and and have a lot of. Um, sense of responsibility for helping to support other people and support the trajectory of our, our planet and everything that's going on. So there's a lot of giving and sharing that's happening. And yet there's a disconnect where, as you're just speaking to, it goes out and it goes out and it goes out. And that same level of care and attention and, and love and kindness isn't necessarily directed towards ourself. And there's nothing sustainable about that, you know. It's like it's an. It's like we're we're giving giving without replenishing, right? And so
1: we're depleted. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you have um, many principles that you mention mm-hmm. in your vitality map, uh, and uh, one of them I think is really interesting is you bring up the shadow. It's one of the early ones that you bring up right away. The shadow, like. Uh, you know, talk about the shadow. Why is it important for us and what is, what do you mean by the shadow, to look at our shadow?
2: Yeah, well, I'm referring to shadow kind of in, in the way of, of Jung, you know, so the Jungian philosophy where there's aspects of ourselves that we are unconscious to that are maybe just out of our view or, or deep down in the, the recesses of ourselves and, and we haven't integrated them into ourselves and and these aspects of ourselves can be kind of running the show behind the scenes but you know in our health and self care it can show up in the way of We might really have these intentions of things that we want to be doing to support ourselves and have a clear idea of what might actually bring us more alive in our life. But then we watch ourselves, like, constantly going into avoidance patterns or self-sabotaging or somehow not being able to stay with it. And So, like, an example would be? An example would be, like... um, yeah, someone who really wants to get into shape. You know, it's like they have these intentions, they want to exercise, and yet, you know, they might get a, a, a burst of energy around it and sign up, you know, like the New Year's resolution thing. You know, they sign up and they go to the gym for maybe a week or two and they're really excited about it. And then, yeah, they fall off that rhythm. And, that c- pattern can happen over and over and over again. And it feeds the this, this sense of self-judgments and shame and all these critical voices in us. And And the result is a sense of, you know, a person really taking it on as there being something wrong with themselves. And it creates a sense of isolation around how they're caring for themselves and a sense of, yeah, that there's something wrong, that they so can't even do So even shame
1: it. can show up. Shame is huge,
2: yeah, and, and for me, the shame and shadow territory, they're intricately linked. And and this is a territory that really isn't talked about in the realm of health, medicine, self-care. So all these people are trying all these different protocols and, and going at it and then getting discouraged the The thing underneath it, that shadow territory of these underlying beliefs and assumptions and traumas and woundings and things that might be guiding us in ways that we're not really conscious of, aren't being brought into the light.
1: you know, mm. uh, I know that you mentioned in that part of the mm. the your work mm. you mentioned something called voice dialogue. Mm. And I just want to say,, uh, that that was established by Sidra and Hal Stone, and uh, they've been on the program uh, several times. And and I, when they were on early on, Michael and I, my former partner who is now deceased, but Michael and I went to do some sessions with them. And I was so pleased to see voice dialogue there in your book because. We were so supported by that. Can you describe a little bit of what that is? Yeah,
2: essentially, voice dialogue acknowledges that there's all these different perspectives inside of our, ourselves. and In a sense, there's an unlimited number of perspectives that we can try on. And what can happen for us as we're moving through our lives is that certain voices or certain perspectives kind of get really loud. and And they... They're so loud, in fact, that we identify with them as being, you know, that's that's me. That's my voice. And the reason that I've really embraced this technique in in my approach is that those voices that get really loud in our self-care journey often are the really harsh ones, the self-critical ones, the ones that beat us up for not being good enough or not doing all the things we're supposed to be doing and And, what the voice dialogue does is it allows us to gently sort of invite other voices to the table. Like I imagine like I picture it as like there's this round table with all these different perspectives, and there's some that are loud. But then we start consciously inviting some other perspectives in, like a nurturing voice or, The voice that has our back, or, you know, one of my favorites is the mama bear voice. You know, so like some of these other voices that might actually be loving and kind, but also help us and support us to step into what we're trying to manifest and create in our lives. So when these more quiet voices are invited to the table, essentially what we can do is to feed those pathways, So that we begin to give them more voice. And over time, as we do that, as we acknowledge these voices that have been talking, 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 we've been hearing all the time, okay, I hear you. You know, they're not going to go away necessarily. But what happens as we start inviting these other voices is that they gain more strength and energy. And we start to be able to shift our perspective and treat ourselves with a very different approach to how we're guiding ourselves and nurturing ourselves in our self-care journey.
1: Very nice, very nice. Another uh, point that you make is uh, to to listen to our bodies, to start to learn the language of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's something that that it's a, it's a whole language that we have to learn to pay attention to and we're not mm-hmm. so used to that. Uh, no, it feels sad to me that,
2: you know, this is something that most of us were never taught. It's, it's kind of like you're saying, a foreign language. And yet each of us, we're the only ones who have the capacity to receive the feedback that's coming all the time. Every single choice we're making in our
1: life is so giving us feedback. We're going to talk more about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Deborah Zucker. And she's the author of The Vitality Map, A Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self-Care, and Resilient Well-Being. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, vitalmedicine.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Deborah Zucker. She's a naturopathic physician and the author of The Vitality Map, a Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self-Care, and Resilient Well-Being. Deborah, we're talking about self-awareness and learning the language of the body. One of the things that you you that really got my attention of the things that we can notice about our body and notice and stop and take some note. One is fatigue, that's a big one, we can notice that. But there's another one that you had in there that I thought, well now isn't that interesting? If we notice that we cannot h- keep our attention on on something one thing for very long. That was an interesting one that there there's there's a f- that's a feedback for for what?
2: well when we when we can't keep our attention there very long for me, like sometimes what's going what's going on and this I'm not sure if this is what you're referring to is that it can be uncomfortable, right? It's As our awareness begins to grow and we begin to notice more about what's happening in relation to all the choices that we're making, we can start to become hyper-aware. And with that, that that creates a discomfort and we want to turn our attention away and look at something else. And for me, what I I do with my clients is actually suggest that they stay there for a while and and build up that muscle of attention to stay with some of what's uncomfortable to see. Because sometimes as we become more self-aware we start to see these patterns that we may have been having for years and that can That can cause some grief, that can cause, you know, some of those voices of self-judgment to come up. But it's really vital to, to stay there with that because what you learn about yourself through watching these patterns and being in direct, honest relationship with them actually allows you to then create strategies for yourself of new action steps, new creative solutions that can move you in a different direction so that you're not repeating the same
1: thing over and over again. And and mm-hmm. fatigue is another body mm-hmm. feedback, or or noticing food allergies would be another body feedback. Mm-hmm. And and when you say um, to figure out new strategies, I also like it that that you say uh, when you experiment, mm-hmm. like we don't have to just absolutely say okay this is the new way and this is my new regime and this is what I'm going to do. But you're a little more gentle about it. Can you describe that?
2: Yeah, this this key of experimentation is is so huge. It's really it's, – it's one of those simple things that we be, can begun to try, but at the same time can be revolutionary because, as you're saying – You know, so many of us approach our health and self-care in a very linear way where we try and will ourselves into these protocols or things we're supposed to be doing. And as a result, you know, it can feel um, like we're in sort of a prison, that health and self-care becomes like this really hard thing to do. And the orientation of experimentation frees us from that. It actually allows us to be creative and playful and curious where we create a strategy and we simply try it on for a while. I I typically with clients suggest two weeks, you know, you, you come up with an experiment and keep it simple, you know, don't try and change a million things all at once, just keep it simple. Try it for two weeks and see what happens. And the whole time you're observing yourself. So you're increasing that awareness. You're watching what happens. At the end of two weeks, you take stock. Like, what did I like about that? What didn't I? What worked? What didn't? And then you tweak the experiment. Or if it was something that really didn't go well, you scrap it and you create a whole new experiment. So it creates a sense of dynamic energy and creativity to how you're caring for yourself, which is a much Better match for our vitality because we're not static, we're not linear. Our lives are always changing, and this keeps us in the flow of that.
1: You know, I I started a, a program of weight management, and and in that I knew that I had to exercise. And they, they're they're you know suggesting that you exercise. They don't say you have to do an hour a day or anything. Just five minutes a week. You know, I mean, it was very very gentle. And I resisted that. I just thought, oh, I hate to exercise. It is so boring. And then I did some writing around that, and then I realized, wait a minute, and this is kind of going along with your experimentation. Now wait a minute. If I'm going to wait for exercise to be joyful, I'll never start. And so what I did, I thought, well, What could I do that is exercise that might give me some joy? And I thought, ah, I could dance. I could dance five minutes a day, you know. And now, Debra, I'm up to dancing an hour a day, But I do it in short little segments. I do them like five minutes at a time. I take these breaks during the day, and I put on my headphones, and I go into my kitchen, and I just let it rip. And... And it is joyful. So that was an experiment, an example of an experiment that worked. That's
2: such a beautiful example. And and it, you, that really
1: embodies what I try to encourage
2: people to do, where you step out of the box of what you think exercise or whatever you're trying to change is and what other people have told you you're supposed to do. And get creative. Like, like take a first step like you did, where it's gentle, it doesn't feel that intimidating, you can try it on and get the feedback. and And yeah, have it be something that's playful and fun and joyful and and you know if you can bring social aspect into it that's great too so that it's it's something that nourishes you on a number of different ways and you know it's amazing all these words that can become triggering like the word exercise instead <laughs> like what if it was just about moving your body in some way and and you found
1: that you discovered yeah. that with your dance yeah and yeah. you've mentioned playful on on several occasions in um uh, I know that you've quoted Stuart Brown, who is—he um, started the play Institute for Play, I think—and uh, has been a guests on New Dimensions. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, that play play is a profound biological process. And we're so serious in this culture. We just, you know, got to save the world and got to do better for ourselves. And we forget about play. We do. And it's so sad. It's really such a fundamental,
2: you know, animal life energy in us. (laughs) And, yeah, and to nurture that and let loose and allow ourselves, you know, as adults, it's like na- these days we need to give ourselves permission to tap into that creative, innocent, playful, free, uninhibited energy in ourselves, because there's so much that nourishes us on all levels with that.
1: And this shifts our vitality, doesn't it? Can you
2: say something about that? Yeah, well, I'm sure we've all had experiences of that. I mean, maybe when you dance, you know, or I often suggest to people I'm working with, like, can you tap into a childhood memory where you just felt like you were just, your heart was wide open and you were free. And and oftentimes those things, like I remember a client saying when he bikes, like that energy comes back for him. So we all have those things that we we know that we've experienced in our life and, and to really trust that as a starting place. And then from there, you can experiment and find other things that elicit that for you. It's almost like opening up, you know, opening up and building a muscle around play because yeah, there's nothing serious about our vitality. I mean, yes, we have serious emotions and our life has a whole spectrum, but our vitality, you know, wants to be free. Our life energy yeah. wants to be self-expressed.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. that goes along with uh, your idea of um, aligning with your yes, you know, and finding your inner GPS system. So what's our inner GPS system?
2: Well, I I love that analogy of the GPS because, you know, aligning with your yes for me is about tuning in and trusting that sense of inner guidance of what is it that brings us alive in life, you know, and each of us that's unique in any given moment, what that is. And the GPS, you know, it recalibrates from wherever you're at. So it acknowledges, like, again, we're not a linear being. (laughs) Life is going to throw us all sorts of things, and we're going to be navigating, and it's going to be disorienting at times. But at any given moment, we can tune into that inner guidance, that inner GPS, and recalibrate for that next step forward in a way where we're choosing to step into that yes, to step into our deepest yearnings, to step into what our vitality is calling for. You know what our life energy needs as you know as that gardener of ourselves to blossom and
1: bloom and and come alive in that moment. And when you mention gardener, uh, I know that um, you also say we need to know our inner now mm-hmm. And you use the analogy of of pruning. So we need to look at carefully at, okay, what, uh, describe what a, what a sucker is. <laughs> I, I love that whole analogy that you use. Yeah. So, so the analogy
2: is pruning a fruit tree. So fruit trees, you know, if we don't ever prune them, they'll just keep growing and growing and, you know, branches will cross over each other. So they'll shade themselves out. And then there's what are called suckers, which are essentially branches on fruit trees that go straight up and they don't blossom and bloom and produce fruit. They're just yeah, they're just branches that are sticking straight up. And so what that that does for the tree is that a lot of the life energy are going into these branches that aren't actually producing anything. It's not part of the blossoming and blooming of the tree. And the same analogy can be applied to us. You know, if there are things in our life that we're investing our life energy into that actually aren't aligned for us, it's like these suckers where we're feeding all this life energy into things that aren't actually allowing us to step into our full expression in life, to really feel vital. So the pruning is an acknowledgement that having the courage to say no, to clip away and prune away some of these aspects that aren't really aligned, allows more of that natural life energy to go and feed our blossoming.
1: So So when you talk about that, Deborah, Mm -hmm. it just reminds me of how holistic your approach is. It's Mm -hmm. not just, oh, you're your physical body of what you eat and how much sleep you get, and all of that is important. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about pruning, I think that you, you mentioned looking at our belongings. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are we taking care of? What, what are our belongings? Looking at our clutter, looking at our commitments. You know, maybe we're volunteering too much, and just uh, uh, and it's just giving all our energy to something else, and not to to what gives us our own vitality, or or relationships, or even beliefs. So, so when you're talking about pruning, it's a whole area that that you're asking us to look at.
2: Yes. And, and that's the thing that feels key that is often missing, even in, in approaches, you know, that consider themselves to be holistic. Like for me, it, it is it's about every single choice that we're making in our lives. It's about every aspect of how we're moving through relationships, through work, through home, through our passions, through how we, you know, care for this physical body. You know, every single choice that we're making affects our state of vitality. So the realm of health is all of it. It's our entire life. It's it's not relegated to just, you know, doing the the right diet and the right exercise. Those things are important. But every single choice, and this was key for me in my own healing journey, that you know, if if I wasn't choosing things that were aligned for me, it was like, you know, a a bucket with a hole in the bottom and my life energy was just draining out. And I see this all the time where people are doing all the right things to take care of themselves, but this part of of aligning with what's what's our unique truth, our unique passions, our unique things that light us up and help us to shine, if they aren't there, then
1: the vitality can be very subdued. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Deborah Zucker. She's the author of The Vitality Map, A Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self-Care, and Resilient Well-Being. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Deborah Zucker. She is a naturopathic physician and the author of the Vitality Map. And uh, Deborah, I'd love for you to share because I, I think of you, if I may say, the wounded healer. Like, like you're not suggesting anything for us that you haven't experienced. And mm-hmm. can you give us a little background of your own healing and what you've gone through? Yes.
2: Yes, everything I've been talking about is very much born from my own journey. And uh, it began in a conscious way in 1999 when I was 24. And at the time, I was living and working at a sustainable living institute. So, you know, I was out there trying to help the world and, and putting a lot of energy into that. And yet I hit a point which at the time felt very sudden where all of a sudden I spun down into a deep chronic fatigue and depression and had a lot of other symptoms. And it was shocking and disorienting and um, essentially made my life as the trajectory I had been on kind of come to a standstill. And, and so I began exploring, you know, I, I, essentially my life became an experiment. I began exploring conventional um, routes of healing and all a whole breadth of different alternatives and modalities of all different kinds and protocols and and as I was in that everything I was I was learning for myself I was wanting to share with other people and and so a new calling emerged and, and that led me to Bastyr University where I studied to become a naturopathic physician and but this healing journey has continued for many years I mean in a way I'm I'm not in that fatigue anymore but I still just consider like my life in a way this ongoing healing journey and and so what happened it, it started at a physical level and then I started to explore more of the emotional mental emotional realm and, and then into the spiritual um, exploration so everything that I was exploring was kind of filtered through this orientation of my own vitality and well being and and what I discovered through that, both, you know, in my studies and after I became a doctor and and as I explored with lots of different healers and approaches, is that it kept feeling like there was a whole missing conversation, you know, a, a foundation underneath all of what I was exploring that wasn't being named, at least explicitly. And so through my own journey, I began to kind of distill, like, what are some of these things that I'm learning for myself that are actually pivotal to when I witness my own vitality seem to open and when I feel myself thriving more and and what happens when I feel myself kind of dropping more into the fatigue. So my energy level became this barometer for myself to watch that. And so the different principles that we've been talking about were born over time from my own journey. And then when I started to work with clients and finding ways to articulate that and teach that so that Essentially, what I've come to see them as is, is basic life skills that most of us were never taught. And, and some of it are perspective shifts, and some of them
1: are actual concrete things that we can learn to do. I think that yeah. even at, at some point, uh, even when you went to Bastyr and you were there and doing your doctorate and doing all of your work there um, for, like, you were full on for three years, and then you kind of... Listen to your body again, and you did what? Did your body tell you?
2: Well, I actually, I think this is what you're referring to. I, I hit a point where I, I felt disconnected from my studies there. And like there was some something else for me to be learning and exploring. So I actually stepped away from Bastyr University for two years. Um, initially, it was just a year. And then I was out there kind of exploring. And it became kind of a pilgrimage for me of of really learning a lot of what I speak to in the book around that greater self-awareness and discernment around what was bringing me more alive in life and and how could I learn to become more and more attentive to the subtleties, emotionally, physically, all the feedback happening all the time. And I discovered in that time when I was away from, you know, a lot of the more goal-oriented pressures and, and things that, you know, that in a way I had embodied for most of my life that, that I came alive to a sense of, of freedom and self-knowing that I hadn't known before. And so the reflections of that, you know, aren't necessarily that everyone needs to, you know, take a two-year sabbatical like that, but but more an acknowledgement of what listening to my own yes, you know, aligning with that and having the courage to, Revealed to me in my life, and and when I returned to my studies to finish my doctorate, I did so in in a very different way. I was I was grounded in myself and and had perspectives to to take into that time of you know in a sense jumping through hoops to finish the doctorate and and to learn what what was being taught to me, but with that foundation that I speak to really grounded in me and already and and. And so it put everything else in perspective that, yes, all of these things I was learning are important tools, and there's so much to offer people. But my unique passion and what I felt like I was here to be bringing forth was a part of the conversation that I didn't see there
1: in the realm of, of health and medicine. Yeah. That that just reminds me years ago when uh, I was at Auburn University and getting my um, degree in education, and they They needed a teacher so much that they asked me to start teaching before I got my degree because they were short of teachers. This was in Alabama. And um, so I taught for a year, and then I went back to finish my degree. And like you, I just came back with such a different perspective. My questions were different. I could take in the material in a whole different way just like you. So Mm -hmm. I I could see that that would be very beneficial for you as a doctor, being able to help others. Mm -hmm. You're coming from a different perspective with that time out, so to speak, to have life experience. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that that just reminds me, too, that one of um, the ideas that you have um, in in principles... (laughs) This one was, oh, my goodness, it was, you call it easeful discipline. And that word discipline, that I'm so glad you included this because there is a kind of discipline that's needed when we're going to change habits and learn new ways of being So how do we make it easeful in your experience?
2: Yeah, I mean this one feels so pivotal because as you said, like when we're going through transitions, when we're trying to create change, there's this uncomfortable time. It's right, as we begin to make those habit changes, it doesn't always feel good right away. We've all had the experience when we start to exercise ever after not having done it, it. It doesn't feel comfortable right away. And so I view discipline as what takes us through that transitional time until we start getting the feedback that's really self-reinforcing. So discipline's necessary, but so many of us associate discipline with that having to will ourselves into something. It's almost like even as I say it, I feel my body kind of contract, and there's this energy that can be harsh and strict and mean, and and it's something we have to do. It brings back that serious th- aspect of, of what health and self-care have become for so many people. And so what I've, I've explored around the discipline is, is how do we shift the perspective of it so that it actually becomes something that feels empowered and joyful and easeful and for me, that's really about getting strategic and getting really honest with ourselves so that we're relating to the things that we view as obstacles as actually things that are parts of the feedback, that there might be real needs there and what we often view as obstacles. You know, for instance, a client who has an ambition to start exercising every day and she chooses the time before work to do that, So, which means that she needs to get up early. And then- yeah. And then she has trouble doing that. She often just wants to stay in bed. So then we look at that and realize, okay, actually, you might need more sleep. So maybe the morning time before work isn't the best time to exercise. So then what becomes an obstacle, actually, you can greet with compassion and and stop trying to force your way into it and instead look at the realities of your daily life. like and to be in direct, honest relationship with that so that your experiments and your strategies are woven into that in a way that's gentle and life-giving, where you honor the different needs that you have and you're not trying to fight yourself into submission. And and then the other aspect besides the strategies is support. And, you know, there's a, a whole principle in the book that I devote to support um, that's relational. And then there's also support that comes in, you know, having... Blocked out time in our calendar that can be huge these days where huge. we where we schedule for ourselves the things that are really life giving and we commit to them in the same way that we would a date with a friend or with a loved one and and we have that kind of commitment to ourselves or we write little love notes to
1: ourselves you know nice. so there's reminders little reminders and mm-hmm. I'm just reminded like the regime that I am on I, I I it's very new for me it's like eating six times a day. Oh my goodness. What? Six times a day. They're very small meals. They're like 200 calories each or something, maybe 250, something like that. I have to to get into the habit of that. I have to actually set my alarm. Mm-hmm. I cuz you're supposed to eat within 3 hours, you know, so your glycemic level and my body's really happy with it, but I still forget to do it. So mm-hmm. I have to actually set an alarm. So this would be like a strategy.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like we, we set ourselves up through being strategic and looking at what's going on in our lives to actually support our own success in it. And and I, I feel like that's often missing. And, and the level of it, the, the reason that it's often missing at that level is because of the self-awareness piece that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like if you haven't taken the time and attention to really look more carefully at what are the patterns going on and what's happening to you throughout your day. It's harder to get really strategic in that way for for giving yourself the supports and nudges that you need and the relational support as well that will allow you to really step into the changes that you seek.
1: And that's a big subject that you include in the book, and that's uh, having support and connection with others, that Mm -hmm. we not do it alone, that to do it in isolation is not optimum so and I, i i want us to really spend some time with that so maybe you can start off to say okay what what why is this important Why what have you discovered about the importance of having support groups or support in this change that you're going to do in your life
2: really i mean i think it comes down to as human beings we're relational creatures you know, we're not wired to be isolated and to do everything alone. Our, our culture seems to set us up for that in some way. And and I think our orientation around health can set us up that way because of, you know, there can be a lot of the shame and self-judgment and sort of the sense of I'm the only one who's having all these difficulties. But, but once we actually start opening, you know, through that vulnerability with people that we trust and, and in community, we discover that actually, like— our unique story is there you know our unique experience is true and the patterns are everywhere like we mm-hmm. all can relate to each other in in the struggles and and to learn from each other in in the experimentation and the creativity and and to have you know that witnessing and love and support and the accountability that just is built in when you start sharing with other people cuz yeah. When we're alone, it can feel like the hardest thing. And as soon as you open up and start sharing with other people, it doesn't feel insurmountable anymore. And I certainly, that was a huge learning for me in my own healing journey. One of the pivotal things that really began to shift things for me. And, and as a result, I prioritize it in the work that I do. I love offering group programs because I, I see so much more dramatic change happen with them.
1: I'm here with Dr. Deborah Zucker, and she's the author of The Vitality Map, A Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self-Care, and Resilient Well-Being. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Dr. Deborah Zucker she's a naturopathic physician and the author of the Vitality Map a guide to deep health joyful self-care and resilient well-being Deborah we're talking about having a thriving through connection with others so that we're not doing it in isolation to have a group maybe a a peer group that's that's really very vital to are telling our truth, hearing, I I think that there is something about uh, we don't know what we don't know till we hear it, you know, Mm -hmm. and so from others' experience, that's very valuable Mm -hmm. to hear from others and what we don't know we might find from others and their experience and expertise.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, you know, how much we can learn from each other and You know, I I advocate that all of us have a team of support, and the team may include different health professionals, and and there's a really important role for that. But there's so much that happens when we're connecting with our peers one-on-one, and I'm a big advocate of, of the community groups because we get to see over and over the different aspects of ourself manifesting in other people. And it brings a sense of our shared human journey and a humility to that and a compassion, you know, because as we open our hearts and feel compassion and love and support for someone else going through something, it naturally begins to turn back to ourselves when we recognize, oh, we're all in this together.
1: You know, I can think in my women's group, we've been together for like 35 years. So we're, we're aged. Together and now the big subject is, okay, what about aging? How are we aging together? What are we feeling? What 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 are our aches and pains? And what are the suggestions about it? And what are people going through? It's really profound to have that kind of group uh, to give feedback and to hear what's going on with them.
2: Yeah, what a gift that you've had that for so long. Yeah. I really, I've had a group I've been in for about nine years, and it's amazing, you know. And and what I've come to see, and and this is part of the approach I've I've taken, and why I emphasize it in my book is that. A lot of times our, our groups might be focused on other things. You know, they might be programs we're involved in or leadership groups or or maybe they are particular kinds of support groups, but often this really essential realm of how we're caring for ourselves and guiding ourselves. And it sounds like your group is beginning to ask those questions in this transitional time, like what does this look like for ourselves? And and to have that be kind of the focus of the community coming together brings a whole other level of um yeah rawness and and vulnerability that to me is kind of the birthplace of of what our vitality is yearning for to
1: exactly. really deeply be seen and to see others let's say something yeah. about you mentioned health practitioners now these mm-hmm. are professional practitioners you being one and mm-hmm. there are others so what would what advice would you have to, to how we approach someone like a, a professional healthcare person.
2: The biggest advice I have is is that each of us as individuals really come into a place of recognizing that we are our own best health guide. That each of us is the only one who's actually receiving the feedback all the time that's guiding us towards our own thriving. And to then seek out support from that place where the people that we are connecting with, we recognize we're hiring them to support us. And as such, one, you know, anything they're sharing with us, we're filtering through our own self knowing. So we're having discernment around what resonates and what doesn't. And we're also choosing people to work with who we feel like are really showing up with us and, and are present to what we're navigating and, and have, you know, ideally have walked some of their own vulnerable path and their healing so that they can really see us and get us and have compassion for the journey and offer support, not just from an academic standpoint, but from a human to human kind of relationship.
1: You know, an example of that, like I have, I'm part of an HMO. Mm-hmm. And and so even within that, that allopathic medicine, they have allowed me to find the, my primary care physician within that HMO. Mm-hmm. And I've had four different physicians, and I finally found this one that i just love her yeah. and she's gotten to know me and mm-hmm. we just are simpatico and it was so even within mm-hmm. that kind of structure yeah. there's a way of finding someone that you can really relate to and feel as you say that they are present with you mm-hmm. even in that that very highly stressful healthcare system that we're 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 all coping with these days.
2: I love that you gave that example cuz it it can feel really hard to navigate our healthcare system now. But as you said, even within it if we have discernment and we really like stand for ourselves and we take the time to interview and get to know different people, we can find those people. Who, as you're speaking to, we can develop a relationship with, where it's not this anonymous thing, or that we get boiled down to, you know, a 45 year old woman with X, you know, diagnosis, and instead that it's we're real people and we're showing up with our healthcare providers in that way.
1: Yes, yes, and um, I, I would just love to be able to have you say something about one of the really important principles that you advocate, and that's that to live our lives as if we matter, because Mm -hmm. we do. We do. So I'd love for you to say something about that.
2: Yeah. For me, this principle brings it all together. It's about acknowledging that each of us is actually part of the greater web of life, you know, that each of our lives is unique, and as we support and nourish ourselves in a way where we really get that we do matter, our life expression is rippling out into the fabric of our human family and of all of life. and. And this orientation, you know, grounds the rest of what we've been talking about for me because we get that self-care isn't isolated. Self-care is the same as care for others. You know, they're reciprocal. We we don't need to place them in opposition where somehow care for ourselves is selfish. In fact, it's the most life-giving, selfless thing we can do is to nourish our own vitality
1: and show up like we matter in the world because, our world needs us. So you're saying that if we are living authentically to ourselves and our uniqueness, the mm-hmm. gifts that we have to give, and we're caring for ourselves, then our life becomes more vital. We are have more vitality to actually give. Is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah, by nourishing our own vitality in that way, by
2: honoring our uniqueness and what our gifts and and helping ourselves to shine in the world, we're actually contributing what we're here to be contributing. And that's unique to each of us, what that looks like.
1: And I can think, too, of that idea of vitality. Deborah, it's so attractive. Hmm. When someone walks in the room and they are standing and exuding their vital life energy—you can just feel it—and yeah. you're just automatically drawn to them. Mm-hmm. You want to be with them. You wanna. You wanna play. You wanna play with them. You want them in your game. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I I just want to to concur with you about really understanding that it's it's a full circle that mm-hmm. we're managing to do. So. I don't want to leave without saying something about just a couple of things about the breath, because I know that you talk about the breath in in the the book and how important that is. So can you just give us a little clue about breathing, and and this is like a portable altar that we have mm-hmm. with us at any moment that mm. we can tap into. So can you say something mm. about that?
2: I love, yeah, I love that language of portable altar. Yeah, for me, you know, it is, it's like an anchor into a deeper acknowledgement of, oh, I am alive and in a body right now. Simply acknowledging and coming into conscious attention with the breath can bring that level of attention of an awake awareness of the gift and preciousness of being alive. And then not only that, but when we consciously begin to play and explore with our breath, we discover that there's an incredible self-regulating ability that we have with it, because we are sort of breathing automatically. But a lot of us these days in our crazy society and busyness can breathe much more quickly than is optimal. And if we slow down our breath, simply counting to five on the out-breath and counting to five on the in-breath is an easy way to do that. We can actually shift our nervous system state into a more rested, relaxed, open, present state. And for me, that brings the two together so that it's an acknowledgement of our awake aliveness and the preciousness of our life. And, oh, and I have the capacity to shift my state of being in any moment.
1: So in these stressful times, that's Mm -hmm. a good uh, activity to participate in, Mm -hmm. to bring to conscious awareness.
2: Yeah, it's simple. You can do it anywhere, anytime. And yeah, I really view it as an anchor. Boom, I'm back. I'm in my body. I'm present. And I'm shifting my state of being to bring myself even more present to this moment, alive and
1: awake in my body. There we go. Yeah. Deborah, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions today. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I did too. Mm-hmm. I've been speaking with Dr. Deborah Zucker. She's a naturopathic physician and the author of The Vitality Map, A Guide to Deep Health, Joyful Self-Care, and Resilient Well-Being. And she also offers, she's a founder of Vital Medicine and offers many virtual and retreat-based programs. So you can contact her through her website, vitalmedicine.com, or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3594.
0: New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations.